Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today, we have an amazing guest. He has dedicated his life to helping others learn how to swim, ultimately winning the war on drowning which claims millions of innocent lives around the globe every year. He's a Paralympic bronze medalist, a 10 times national Paralympic swimming champion, and has been named the Sustainable Development Goal Young Leader by the United Nations. He is the president and CEO at Swim Uphill Foundation, managing director of Aquatic Today, LLC. Please welcome Jamal Hill. Welcome, Jamal. Greg, really, really uh, happy to be on the show today honored that i fit this uh you know this kind of archetype that is a chief endurance officer you know that intersection of you know business family and athletics so man i'm excited for our conversation today awesome well thanks again um so as you just mentioned we talk about endurance and the endurance mindset and jamal i'd love to know how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly oh man um you know endurance to me uh really means it's not about being the strongest um obviously being a professional swimmer speed is important uh but you know for 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 a lifetime career perspective it's not about being the fastest um i think endurance is just literally about sticking it out it's about having the resilience about being dedicated to a goal so you know i see people now right i'm 28 years old I see people now that are very impressed with, you know, the bronze medal and obviously preparing for Paris next year, but they're really surprised to know that, hey, I swam in D3 college. Uh, when I was in D3, my junior year before I left to become a pro swimmer, I actually didn't make a single finals at our national championships. Uh, before that, high school, I mean, I won one race in my entire high school career, and it was the last race of my high school career. So, and even that race wasn't fast enough to get me to the state championship. So I just won the league. Before that, you know, I talk to kids all the time. They're sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Like, hey, you guys wouldn't believe it. I wasn't even swimming during this time. Uh, so needless to say, there, there are all these stages throughout life, you know, from elementary to middle to high school to college where, so many people were so much faster than me. And yet here we are at this point in the journey, and I'm the one standing on the podium at arguably the greatest sporting, you know, international sporting platform in the world. So that's really what endurance is. It's about sticking it out every single way, uh, every single step of the journey for whatever you got in mind for yourself. You know, I, I had some big vision, so I had to wait it out. <laughs> that's awesome. Um Talk to us about how it is to compete at that level, at that Olympic level. Yes, sir. Mm, that That's, whew, it is, you know, the best thing I can tell you is after, and, and I'm going to speak specifically to the Paralympic Games here, the Olympic Games, after you finish your race, can you guess, Greg, like what the predominant emotion is can you get even having won a medal can you still guess just what the predominant emotion is mine would be joy that's pretty good joy joy is good joy is good 
Um, I'll tell you when I talk to my counterpoints, counterparts, it's relief. Interesting. Relief. You know, everything, a, a Paralympic cyclist four years traditionally. So everything for four years has gone into this one thing and, uh, you know, different a little bit, I think from maybe, maybe business or family, you know, there's no, there's no hard deadline on that million dollar earnings goal, right? Like if you don't get it by this date, it's over, right? Or there's no hard deadline on this. This is, this is most, this is most comparative to when you were a kid in school. Um, and let's just say you didn't study for the test. Listen, the test is coming, but no matter how well you study for the test, everyone can't get in there, even if everyone knows all the subject matter. Okay. But everyone wants that A. Only three people are going to get an A. And it's going to come down to not, hey, you got a 100% and you got a 50%. So this is the winner and loser. It's going to come down to, hey, you got a 99.9, you got a 99.96, you got a 99.953. And Mr. 99.94, I'm sorry, but better luck next time. You didn't make the cut. Uh, so that's really what it is. It's this immense sense of relief. Like, wow, I'm finally past this moment in life. So much was weighing on this specific intersection of time and space, you know? So, uh, with that, I think for me, what was able to get me through, uh, my first Paralympics was having a really strong uh, power base at home. Uh, I was fortunate mm -hmm. enough. I think my first games, I was, if I'm 28 now, I must've been like 24, 25, my first games. So I'd had a lot of time to mature. I had a lot of time to kind of grow out of what I thought I was supposed to be in order to be a winner. Uh, for me, that looked like not acknowledging nerves, right? Like, no, my name's Jamal Hill. I'm a pro swimmer. I don't get nervous, right? Like, I'm not scared. I'm not any of these things. And I'll never forget, even in the years leading up to the Paralympic Games, we went to this swim meet in Utah after uh, after after COVID because that was one of the states that were open for competition. And um, I remember we were at this meet and uh, I had a friend there. She was competing. And in her eyes, I'm a professional swimmer, right? I haven't been to the Paralympic Games yet, but I'm on Team USA. It's, you know, it's pretty much you're legit at that point. And she said she was so interesting. It was so interesting to see. She's like, hey, Jamal, I'm watching you behind the blocks. Like, you're like kind of standing off to the side. You're not really talking to anyone. You're not. I would swear you were nervous or something. And as she's describing this body language, I had to take a step back and be like, oh, my God, I think you're right. Maybe I am nervous. I actually, now that you mention it, I haven't brushed my teeth in three days. I'd completely forgotten about brushing my teeth. Like. And that's just like, and again, this is, you know, a rink-a-dink meet, you know, with, with some high school kids in Utah, but it just goes to the level of pressure I think that we can put on ourselves in all instances and really be oblivious to it. Uh, so when I was on that Paralympic level, I called up my home team. I'm like, hey, I am losing my ass sugar honey iced tea out here. Uh, I'm feeling, uh, you know, calling in the Sigma Freud. I'm feeling bouts of hysteria just nerves and laughter, and I don't know what to do. Uh, and they were able to just kind of talk me through it. And more than anything, you know, it ultimately came down to just 
cliche, man, but um, it's the truth. Having gratitude, brother. You know, it's mm. like for all intents and purposes, my dream has already come true. I've made it to, <laughs> dude, I'm a college dropout and I dropped out of college completely unknown, unranked. And here I am on the most impressive swimming platform in the world about to step up. There are only eight people in the world that are going to get this opportunity ever in life. There's no redos and I'm one of them. So it's like, it's a dream come true. You know? <laughs> and, and that's the energy that I carried into my race. And, um, you know, I'm obviously, I'm really relieved that even more relieved that I was able to medal. But when I finished the race, I was so bought into that energy that uh, and I'm sure you've seen it, right? Your kids are swimmers. You swim. We've all seen it. They come in, boom, they touch the wall. They whip around and you're trying to see the scoreboard with your times on it, right? Uh, man, when I struck that wall, I did not turn around. Um, I knew that the guy to my left had outtouched me. And I knew that I'd outtouched the guy to my right. So I was either in second place or in seventh place. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. But I knew that in that moment, I knew I had swam the best race of my life. I knew I had done everything within my power in that race. And I had truly left it all in the pool. So I just wanted to take a moment. Just be grateful. Thank myself. Let myself know, hey, whatever happens right now, I'm proud of you. And uh, yeah, dude, I didn't even plan on turning around. I really didn't want to know the result. I was terrified. <laughs> I didn't want to know the result. But then I could hear my teammates calling my name. And uh, at that level, after a race, if someone's calling your name, you've meddled. All right. <laughs> you, you, you've meddled. And so I turned around and it's actually very difficult to see that board from the pool. Uh, but with a little bit of squinting, there was Jamal Hill, number three, USA flag. And uh, yeah, man, relief. Like, wow. Thank That's, God. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's interesting that you said relief and you expressed that emotion. Um, because there, like, even in my racing, I said joy because I, like, I'm usually crossing the finish line with tears in my eyes because I, mm -hmm. like, how did I get here? And thanks to all the people that had supported me and the training that I had to neglect my family and the community and all those things. Um, but to your point about relief, like the following week, it's, wait a second, I got all this time on my calendar again, right? I don't need to be <laughs> swimming two hours in the pool and on a hundred mile bike ride and all those things. And so, but at some point you get that itch back, right? So yeah. talk to us about when you get that competitive itch back after you've experienced, like how long of a period is that for you at this Olympic level? Yeah, man, you know, that's, Obviously, we know this is going to be drastically different for everyone. Um, my experience at the Olympic level, the Paralympic level was Tokyo. So that in itself is going, again, like fingers crossed, a once in a lifetime game. There were no fans in the stadium, right? The games have been delayed a year. This happened in 2021 in an arena with 30,000 seats. And the only people in those seats were my teammates who were also competing that night, right? Wow. So this is all in the COVID context it's you finish the race there's no roar of the crowd and the japanese are very you know modest culture so they don't even have like fans playing over the speakers it's just like it's you know it, it may as well be a practice session right now uh the atmosphere right outside of the tv cameras but i'm um, following that you know uh i'm i'm one of those people that 
when I win, it's usually hard to get me to take a break. So I won. I did the whole Tokyo tour, came back. I'm pretty sure I was at practice like that next Tuesday. Not going hard, not doing anything, but like when I win, I just, I feel like I don't want to lose any momentum. Uh, but when I lose, usually it's when I take a break and I like really will step away. Because uh, to me, what that means is like, obviously I've invested time and energy into this, so I believed it would work but it's not working. So I'm, I gotta be too close to it to not realize what's not working. Um, and so after Tokyo 2021, uh, man, I was kind of on and off in and out of the pool for several months, all the way into 2022, almost up until like April, 2022. And we had world championships in, in July of 2022. So it was on and off. I, I used that time mainly to, to travel, um to to really get in the office uh and and be able to focus on our foundation be able to focus on some of my other entrepreneurial endeavors we talk about that come down after you finish the triathlon right and now you've got all this time you don't have to do this much training well it's like for me being a sprinter uh it's not that my training life changed so drastically because like I'm doing power endurance. My pool sessions are 40 minutes a day. You know, like I'll get up early. You're in my in my home office gym right now. I'll get my rings and my bar and I do my dry land workouts, my calisthenics. So that doesn't really change too much. What does change though, uh, for myself even, who has other things to do, it's just, uh, I think the biggest change is like really, um, how do you say this? Number one is definitely the income, right? So for most Olympic, Paralympic athletes, you know, they're definitely, I would say, minimum wage earners, you know, even a gold medalist. And then you take them to the games. Maybe someone gets a big check if they're lucky. Uh, but then it's like three-year gap <laughs> until that next big check. So you take that. And then you also take like, you've taken someone from the shadows and maybe they won a gold medal. And now, literally for maybe three to six months, they're at the height. They're at the pinnacle. There can't be enough news stories running about them. There can't be enough. They're the hometown hero. And now that's passed. So the same way they don't have any money for the next three years, they also don't have any attention for the next three years, right? Like no one, no one cares until it's time again. Um, so I think that's I think that's the real stark drop off there for Olympic and Paralympic athletes is, you know, number one, if you're even fortunate enough to earn a living, being an Olympic Paralympic athlete is 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 a feat in its own. But then number two, that space in between the interest of the world, right? Like, who am I during this time? And and, and yeah, I, I would just say it, it's very interesting. There's there's a lot that goes into keeping a very strong mental health during those periods, uh, um, especially for elite athletes. I'm so happy you brought up mental health because it's a crucial topic. Um, what do you do to, to make, you mentioned earlier, right? When you've had a loss, you step back and evaluate. And I suspect you've got a process. I and mean, we just started talking now about mental health. What is your sort of mental health routine? At this point in my life, uh, my my routine is a bit of a pyramid. 
<laughs> I've got a pyramid in it. And I'm sure if you ask me three, four years from now, it will have evolved. Uh, but it's a pyramid, man. And at the very top of that pyramid is sleep. Sleep is the most important thing. Uh, your body needs rest. I, I say all the time to people, you know, um, especially being here in the States where we have a large uh, Catholic, Christian, you know, more or less identity in this country. Like, dude, Jesus went into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. He might not have ate. He might not have drank. Oh, but I promise you, that man was sleeping 100%. Like, <laughs> you know, anyone you try and you try and stay awake, your body's going to shut down. It's going to turn off. Like, sleep is the cousin of death for a reason, right? Where do we go? It's this restorative place that one place, well, one time you'll never come back from. Let me not go down that rabbit hole. Uh, but on the very top level of sleep, and I think sleep is really important, especially after a loss, um, because you're dealing with things like grief. You know, in our modern world, I think a lot of things just get grouped into a very um, negative connotation of the word depression. Right. But from just from like a sober perspective, depression is just like it means a lower point. Right. So you're going through a depression, you're experiencing grief, you're experiencing that cycle. Sleep is important. Sleep is huge for me. Like I'll, I'll go in there and I'll just sleep, man. I'll just rest like. And I think that's a really great way to really allow yourself to process emotions, to take time, to not have any worries or stress. Uh, that second tier of the pyramid for me, the very next one comes into my fitness. Mm -hmm. And that's when I have to sit back, okay, I've got my sleep, I've got my rest, I'm taking my time here. Not just my physical fitness, because obviously we know science has proven 100% over the last decade that chemicals that get released when we're physically active that are better for our entire body, our mind, our health, right? Uh, but also my spiritual fitness, right? Am I taking the time to connect with my higher source? Uh, I believe in God. Am I taking that time to, to enrich my spirit, my relational fitness? Um, am I nurturing the relationships that I care about? You know, even when you don't feel like answering the calls or texts, like, am I still loving my partner? Am I, you know, uh, obviously our mental fitness, you know, I, I go through my fitnesses and I want to do, I just want to check the system. Then the last tier, the third tier is your diet. It's my nutrition. That's when I step back again and I say, okay, not only like, what am I consuming orally, right? You know, am I drinking a lot of processed sugars? Um, what's my diet like, but truly, you know, what am I listening to? Right. What, what is my, what is my diet listening to? What am I watching on a regular basis now? Uh, what am I reading? What type of environment am I putting myself into? Social media, who do I follow on social media? When I open up my phone, my timeline, which, you know, undoubtedly, we all spend a lot of time on these things. What's coming down the pipeline? Like, what is this stream of consciousness that I'm constantly consuming? I go through that, man. And, and that's the order. And, and I just start to tighten it up. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really pretty simple. I just design it to match what it is that I want for myself in my life. I don't want this garbage. I don't want this naked girl. I don't, you know, I want this. I want some Marcus Aurelius on my timeline for a time being. I want, you know, I want the greatest speakers of the world to be on my timeline and to have. So that's really it. Just going down a very simple checklist. Sleep is the most important. I don't care who you are. If you're not getting your rest, um, you're just not going to be your best self. You're not going to be optimized. I know Kobe Bryant would probably beg to differ. God rest his soul, you know, the great being, but short of Kobe Bryant, okay. <laughs> um, do you got to rest? 
Uh, and then, yeah, get your fitnesses and, and or I get my fitnesses, right? That's what I do. And then uh, last but not least, I go through my diet. I go through my nutrition and I really kind of, you know, with a fine tooth comb, go through what I'm consuming. I really connected with you there when you talked about um, with the fitness and nutrition, sleep 100%. But the fitness and the nutrition, it's not just the standard definition of fitness, like how much can you lift or how far can you run, but it's truly spiritual, mental relationships. And then also with the nutrition, I found it fascinating that you take into consideration what you're reading and what you're watching in the social media. And that's to your point, spot on. I'm curious, what have been some of the big discoveries that you've noticed while going through this pro through your process? Um, well, the, the first one, I, I literally can't overstate this enough, um, just how crucial sleep is. Mm -hmm. I've changed a lot of things in our training over the past six years being a pro, 20 years being a professional swimmer, um, a lot of different training styles, a lot of different, you know, uh, dietary supplements, you name it. I won't say we tried it because we haven't done everything, but don't name it. Um, but the biggest game changer, hands down, is sleep. Hundred percent. Like that is the big. I don't care what you're on, dude. If you're not getting at eight hours of sleep, like especially if you're a high performing athlete or, or you know, a high performing individual, you got to use your mind. You're thinking. You need concentration. I don't want to hear it. Sleep is the basis. Um, after that. Man, I really want to give you something golden here, but I feel like, no, it's sleep. You got you to get them sleep. <laughs> well, and, you, and to your point, it's not just sleep. It's proper good sleep, right? It's not oh, the bag yeah. of Doritos at 1230 at night and you're sleeping oh, into Jesus. 10 in the morning. It's it's quality. <laughs> having you, do you, so do you have a, here's a question for you. Do yes, you have sir. a pre-sleep routine? Uh, I do. Uh, it, it's it's not you know it's not exactly like a Dave Asbury biohacker level caliber sleep routine, but yeah, hundred percent there are things that I know are viable. Number one, in my bedroom, in our bedroom, we don't have any we don't have any clocks or digital clocks. We don't have a television in the bedroom, um, so obviously we do bring our cell phones into the bedroom because we have to you know have alarms and things like that. But that's number one. Number two. I like the room to be really dark. It's going to be pitch black in there. The AC is going in that room. The AC is anywhere, you know, we're Fahrenheit in the U.S. So it's anywhere from 64 to 67 degrees Fahrenheit in that bedroom when I'm sleeping. So it's cold um, under the covers, nice and tight. Most days I'm probably going to take a shower before bed, a nice hot steaming shower. And then I'm just going to enjoy that cold water after and go and get in that bed. Um, you know, me, I like to sleep free. So like, I'm not sleeping with any clothes. The sheets are, <laughs> the sheets are my clothing. Uh, that's, you know, I would say that's, that's really it. Like, I don't really consume a lot of TV. Um, usually if I do it again, it's with my partner. It's just the end of the day, we're unwinding, you know, it's, it's more of a background or a medium for us to enjoy one another's company. I'm not going to be eating right before bed. Uh, when I say right before, I at least try to give myself 90 minutes, you know, life happens. Uh, other than that, you know, um, other than that, I think also keeping a schedule, right? Like, uh, it's not, like you said, it's not just about 
this esoteric eight hour idea, right? We all have jobs, but if your job starts at 8 a.m. every day, it doesn't matter if you show up at noon and work till 8 p.m., dude, you're going to lose your job. Like, <laughs> you're going to lose your job. So I always, these days I really try and get to bed. Like, I go to bed early nowadays, man, like nine, I'll go to bed, get up maybe around five or if I, you know, when you go to bed that early, you have space to sleep in if you want to, you know, it's like I'll get up around five, maybe a little bit later. Oh, maybe I'll get up at 630 today. So I have some of that freedom, especially, you know, having the home office and a lot of things here. But um, yeah, that's that that's a big thing, like keeping keeping that space around it. And then even in the morning when I get up, it's usually again between five and six thirty, depending on how intense the training was the next day. And I listen to my body. But those first hours in the morning, I don't talk. Like these, <laughs> these, these are quiet hours, you know? So the mornings where I get up at 8 a.m. and my girl's getting ready for work and she's trying to talk to me, it's like, she's like, oh my God, you're so grumpy. Why are you so grumpy this morning? So, well, I'm used to like having to talk to anybody for the first 60, 90 minutes of the day. Um, but yeah, you know, so get up early, just enjoy that silence. Um, go outside, walk. I like to put my feet in the grass early in the morning. Always have a cup of tea early in the morning, you know, simple cups of tea, maybe a little bit of herb in the boiling water, maybe a squeeze of citrus, just something to, you know, get the body hydrated, get it moving. Uh, regular bowel movements. If you're not taking regular bowel movements, if, if you're not on the toilet in the morning, you got to get your hydration up. You got to change your diet. You should be, you know, you should, your body should have processed all of the nutrients out of what you've consumed the day before. You need to be able to release that. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a simple guy. That, I love it. I love the routine. Um, you know, I was reading something a few weeks ago about sleep and recovery, and it said if you want to sleep in in the morning, go to bed earlier because it's still the same amount of sleep. It's just a matter <laughs> of actually when you get up. But Jamal, I'm going to change gears on you and talk about okay. your foundation. Um, talk to us about your foundation, the Swim Uphill Foundation. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So, the Swim Uphill Foundation initially was a passion project. Uh, 2018, I went pro with the Paralympic movement. I won my first national championships and I'm standing on the podium with the medal around my neck. No kidding. I had a, an epiphany, right? I had to come to self moment and I just found myself in this train of thought, wow, this is amazing. Uh, this is obviously the start of a great career. I've, hopefully I've got 10 years, maybe more in this. Um, but I can't help but feel like I have more to offer to the world than just a smile and face with the medal. I feel like, you know, as great as it is to be a winner, the world's got no shortage of people with trophies. Um, what does it mean to really be a champion? And, and kind of in that, I decided, well, to be a champion of self, you know, that, that's a pure victory if I've ever heard it, right? What, what value is that? No, champions are not champions of themselves. They're champions of, of a cause. They're the people's champion. They're champions of a movement. And um, during that time, I was still really trying to, uh, I'm always learning, but I was still very, very deep in a self-education period, obviously trying to build a professional career alongside my athletic career um, to be able to just support these endeavors. And so I was, I was uh, investigating this, 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 um, this theory called Eulerian destiny. And ultimately what it is, is this Venn diagram of five spheres of influence. So an, an individual takes perhaps, you know, what they've done for the past 10 years. If someone asked, you know, hey, what is Jamal good at? What would they most like 
likely say, you know, what did your 10 year old self want to do? And a couple of other ones. And once these circles converge in the center, it's supposed to be, hey, this is what you're best suited for. Do drop everything else and invest in this. <laughs> and um, at that point in my life, believe it or not, I'd already been a lifeguard for up to 10 years. I'd been swimming for so long. I, you know, taught hundreds of swim lessons in my life. Uh, and I knew that sat so close to me. Obviously, you know, the whole world is abreast of this vicious stereotype. Black people don't swim. So that's always sitting, not even in the back of my mind, like, you know, it's in the front of my mind. Um, and, and it just kind of let me, it led me on a search. And, and in that search, I, I came to find, wow, okay. So not only do air quotes, black people not swim or, or people of color not swim, but around the world, what I'm seeing is that it's people who are experiencing low to middle incomes, poor people, right? If we drop the PC, it's poor people in impoverished communities around the world that are truly representing the brunt of drowning incidents, both lethal and non-lethal. That screamed to me, this is an issue of access. This is an issue of education. This is something that I believe on this platform of the world stage, we can make a real difference in tech. I think we can solve it. Uh, and so my swim coach at that time, her name is Wilma Wong. She's still my coach. Uh, we came together and, and we ultimately just developed a curriculum. We developed a method, um, very scientific. You know, uh, I come from like a background of physics and math and science. She comes from a background of medicine. So these two really kind of scientific minds with, with, a, with a creative tilt to it, uh, we decided, wow, well, who would be the hardest people to teach how to swim? Maybe we should start there. And so we started doing open calls for people who either self-identified or had family members, friends that identified them as someone with a fear of water. Hmm. And we built a curriculum around people who had a fear of water. Uh, and some of these practices that we started to implement and start to see success with we quickly realized, wow, okay, people who have a fear of water are also facing a lot of the challenges that a poor person without access to a pool is also facing. How do we get someone to start to have this swim education, this swim safety, this swim comfort without just dumping them into a body of water that is, you know, at least 10 to 100 times their size, right? Even a small pool. Uh, and, and so that's really where it came from. And uh, that was 2018. And throughout that time, you know, we've, we've been fortunate enough to earn partnerships with Airbnb, National YMCA. We're one of their specific trainers around the nation. Uh, and that mission has grown from, hey, we want to teach a million people to swim to a million people every year around the world how to swim. And I'm, I'm really proud that in 2023, uh, three years since we've been an official organization, right federally and in five years really since it's been the idea and the work has been implemented uh we're already at over thirty thousand lessons this year through ourselves and our partners with a program in medellin colombia programs all across the country of the u.s and as i was telling you before our show even just next week we'll be sending one of our international uh and one of our international spokespersons a young man to china to present uh a new program at the World Youth Forum, which is ultimately a pitch to have an intercontinental swim lesson between uh, the island states of Portugal, mainland Portugal, and the northern tip of Africa and Cape Verde. So it is, it's really been, uh, 
You know, it's been it's been a great journey. And, and anyone hearing this, I think what I would share with them is, um, dude, don't wait until you air quotes make it to start giving back. You know, that I think that's really all it comes down to. It's like you've always you've always my dad always used to tell me, listen, Jamal, <laughs> you're always about the same place in life. That's doing better than some and worse than others. <laughs> so <laughs> my teammates hate this saying because they'll always come to me after a race, right? Like, Jamal, how was that race? Like, ah, you know, better than some, worse than others, which is <laughs> and right in reality, dude, that's where ninety-eight percent of the races fall. It's either your best. <laughs> You're worse or somewhere in between. Um, and so just like having that perspective, having that spirit, I shouted out my dad. I got to shout out my mom. You know, she always taught me, hey, people may not remember how smart you are. They may not remember how good you look. They may not remember this, that, and other, but they will always remember how you make them feel. They'll always remember how kind you are. So, you know, I've always had this spirit of service. And um, I just think, uh, especially for 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 young for young american business people entrepreneurs working for us that are coming up in this world it's really important to know that hey look i'll tell you jamal hill wants you to get super rich okay i want you to take care of your family for generations i just want you to know that you can get rich have your dreams and help people all at the same time and you don't have to compromise one for the other it sounds like you've got an amazing set of parents um how can an audience member support your foundation? That's a great question, man. I'm so glad that you out. I know you don't do it for this, but I got to shout you out. Hey, see, Chief Endurance Officer Community Family, I just got, I got to let you guys know that, hey, Greg walks the walk. He talks the talk. Um, a lot of people reach out. You know, we do a lot of podcasts. A lot of people ask, hey, how can we support? Literally right off the back, I'm like, hey, we're doing these things. Greg, how can you support? And he, right off the bat, sent a cash donation. We all know, right? There's a lot of ways to support movements, um, but that that just really hit me, you know? So so I really appreciate that. So number one, first and foremost, of course, you can go with the cash donation. Uh, that does so many things that, you know, it's we're, we're small, but we're a big organization. So there are a lot of programs. We We give books to kids. We take school visits. We send professional athletes to, venues all over the world to inspire youth and to give swim lessons. Um, so by visiting swimuphill.org, or if you just Google swim uphill, you'll be able to find the organization. You can give your money. Uh, number two though, is your expertise, right? I talked about that Eularian destiny and we're all really, really, really great at something. And I can tell you whatever that's something that you're great at is this organization can really benefit from it. And you can see yours self as a catalyst of change in this world just by stepping up raising your hand and saying hey i spent this time in legal school is there what i spent this time being an accountant heck i spent this time in construction i don't care what it is there is a place um and if your skills that you have aren't exactly as viable guess guess who's going to help you get a new set of skills that are viable that's our organization so i'm a firm believer in it's a two-way street anything that you give onto this organization will 1000 percent be multiplied 10x on its way back to you so those are two great ways okay just reach in your pocket pull out your credit card or you know just use your phone and scan scan your apple wallet or number two just send us an email send us a send us a message on instagram send us a message on whatsapp hey this is who i am this is what i do do you have a place for me is there something that i could do here 
And uh, I have no doubt that our team is going to activate you. So be ready. <laughs> and we'll include, Jamal, those links in our show notes. And as we circulate, um, how can audience members get in touch with you? What's your get social media platform of choice? Absolutely. Yeah. Instagram is the best platform for me. Uh, if you just kind of want to have more, a little bit more of a one-on-one -on -one with me, Instagram is a great platform. So my pill um, for my a bit more just kind of, I guess, again, I don't really even know what you call LinkedIn as a platform these days, but like the, you know, the typical like kind of business mode, business space, I would say Instagram is a bit more casual. It's a bit more like lifestyle driven. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, that's exactly how Greg and I met. We met through LinkedIn, wonderful platform. Uh, my team, you know, we're, we're doing the work on all these platforms. So either Jamal J. Hill on LinkedIn, or you could find me at Swimma Pill um, on Instagram. Like I said, though, if you just type in Swim Uphill, trust me, it will be hard to miss. It is someone's job to make sure that that is a reality. So <laughs> please put them to work. Just go Swim Uphill. That's awesome. And we'll include, include those links in our show notes as well. Jamal, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. Um, you really got me thinking about that pyramid with sleep, fitness, and nutrition. The work that you're doing with your foundation and, and, and teaching people how to swim and fighting the war against drowning is so powerful. As a, a swimmer myself, I don't know what I, how my life would have existed without the pool in those first early years of, of mom and dad sort of shoving you in and getting those, those lessons done. Um, most of all, good luck in Paris. I can't wait to watch and see you perform. Um, I've got tingles just, just saying those words out of my mouth. So it's been fantastic having you on the show and, and thanks again. Hey, thank you so much for this opportunity, brother. It was a real pleasure. We'll have to do it again. I look forward to maybe after, after Paris and, and for any audience member, for those audience members who got some value out of today, please like this show, please share it with your community. Please share Jamal's foundation and his energy and, and his love for what he's doing. Um, that's how this community grows as well. So I. I empower you, our audience, to go out there and spread this good word. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits.